Good evening, everybody. Welcome into the Nittany Lions Sports Report. It's live here on Bob Long Sports. Bob Long, Tyler Gellhouse alongside. Well, it's post bye week. We're all refreshed, recharged, ready to talk some Penn State football, and we'll have a very special guest at the tail end of the show as our guest picker. His name, Tony Krez. His profession, or his passion, perhaps we should say, he's the head coach of the Sacred Heart St. Bernadette Saints, a youth football program. And we've talked a lot, Tyler, about, obviously, college football. We've gotten down to the high school level, talking to LaSalle, coaches, players, et cetera, over the course of the year. We've broadcasted them on Bob Long Sports. So now let's talk to the roots of the game itself, and that's, uh, that's youth football. So we'll talk to Tony, see where the, the sport is going. He gets to talk to a lot of parents who are making that key decision does my son play football or not? Excited to talk to him about that. And he is a Penn Stater. He'll give us his insight on the team. And then, of course, we'll make our picks. But first, Tyler, happy rest by week to you. Glad to have you back here in the studio. A big game this weekend against Minnesota. Two undefeated teams, something that I don't think anybody would have thought at the beginning of the year. They're heading to the Twin Cities for a noon kickoff, 11 a.m. local and this is the biggest game in years for the University of Minnesota. The first game that Penn State will play uh, this year after the release of the college football playoff rankings. They're in the top four for the first time as a program. So there's a lot of firsts this weekend. Yeah, there, there are a lot of firsts uh, this weekend for sure, Bob. Um, first thing that jumps out to me about the two teams, uh, Penn State and Minnesota, sure they're both undefeated as a surprise to many. I think that Minnesota is probably the bigger surprise um, to people across the college football landscape. At the same time, Penn State um, is a surprise to many as well because of the schedule and because of the young team, uh, new quarterback, new running back, um, a lot of new faces and um, you know, in new spots for Penn State this year. Um, the one thing that jumps out to me, um, the difference between the two teams outside of um, talent is the, um, the way that they got to their, their point right now at 8-0. Um, you know, Penn State has beaten obviously every team as well as Minnesota, but they've beaten stronger competition. They've beat them at home. They've beat them on the road. They've beat them with defense. They've beat them with offense. Um, you know, when I look at Minnesota's schedule and who they've beat, it's like night and day between Penn State's schedule, their resume. Um, you know, they. You want to talk about night and day, though, with this Minnesota team? Yes, their competition hasn't been great at any part of the season, but if we siphon off the first eight games into two four-game seasons – it is night and day. I mean, a seven-point victory against South Dakota State, a yeah. three-point victory in overtime against Fresno State, and, and a couple of no-power-five right. teams, right? And, and then, now you, well, you turn yeah. it on against they, Nebraska. They have, ever since they beat Purdue by seven points, they've turned it on Illinois, Nebraska, Rutgers, Maryland. Um, not that any of those teams are world beaters by any stretch, uh, but – you know they have been impressive wins, like you said. After their their slow start was squeaking past some um, some inferior teams, if you will, um, but also they haven't. Uh, I read somewhere that they haven't played against a team's starting quarterback since I believe the Fresno State game or the Georgia Southern game. Obviously, Purdue's had injuries at quarterback. Um, Illinois did as as well, and Nebraska, Rutgers, and Maryland have all been going through like a quarterback carousel almost right now. So um, they haven't. What I'm trying to say is. Penn State's battle-tested right now. I'm not so sure Minnesota has, although they their, their games as of late have been impressive. I'm just not sure if they've – well, they definitely haven't seen a team like Penn State, put it that way, and, and Penn State has seen 
better teams than Minnesota, for what it's well, worth. Well, on the quarterback thing, uh, if you had asked um, Minnesota if they were going to face Penn State's starter in the spring, you, you might have thought that was going to be Tommy Stevens. Now it's Sean right. Clifford, yeah. so there you go. You can yeah, – yeah. Throw that string all the way down the alley if you want. But, uh, hey, listen, this is going to be a tough football game. Minnesota, almost no matter what quarterback they're playing, uh, they're beating Nebraska big. They're beating Maryland big. Yes, those, as you mentioned, aren't great teams. But I siphon this up into two four-game seasons thus far for Minnesota. They're coming off a bye. You know, there's nothing to look past with this team. They're really strong. They uh, have a quarterback who has been unbelievable, Tanner Morgan. Uh, the all-purpose yardage leader in Minnesota football history. Uh, Rodney Smith, Muhammad Abraham, and Shannon Brooks, the three-headed monster. All three of those guys are averaging four and a half yards per carry or more, Tyler. Mm -hmm. And we're going to talk in the blitz segment where we go to the whiteboard about how the interior defensive line for Penn State is going to be affected without Antonio Shelton who was suspended for spitting on a Michigan State player. So he won't play at all, and it will be a little bit of a different rotation for Penn State. We'll talk about what that's going to look like, different looks that they can put their way. But you have a team in Minnesota that is better nationally running than they are passing, and they're going to try to rely on that with a slightly depleted Penn State defensive line. I'm excited to see what that's yeah. going to look like. Um, and, and you mentioned Minnesota likes to run the ball. Um, they, they're not afraid to pass it either, as you mentioned. Tanner Morgan's having a pretty good year at quarterback there. Um, they also have two two very good uh, wide receivers on the outside in Bateman and Johnson. Um, it sounds like John Reed, who left the game against Michigan State, um, the bye week really helped him. It looks like he'll be he'll be good to go, which is big to have he and Castro Fields out there for the majority of the game at corner because these are two really – you know, it's a good wide receiver tandem that the Gophers have. Um, but like you said, they like to run the ball. Like any other game, it's going to be key for Penn State without Shelton to be able to stop the run and make uh, Minnesota and Morgan beat you through the air. Well, you mentioned Bateman, a guy who is averaging 20 yards per catch and six touchdowns. And it's a pretty good passing attack as well. Uh, I'm very interested to see what it's going to look like in the Twin Cities this weekend, an 11 a.m. kickoff. Yes, can be a little sleepy, but this is the biggest game that Minnesota has played as a program in a very long time. And let's be honest, this is one of the biggest games that Penn State has had in a long time as well. And so getting out there at 11 a.m. Central, you know, that's always a concern. But, Tyler, we've talked about this a little bit. You know, people asking the question, why isn't this a night game? The Big Ten has very unique regulations related to that. The uh, default, if you will, is no night games. No night games past November 1st. The only way to get a night game, which is a 7 o'clock or later start, is to appeal to the conference, and both institutions need to do so in order to get an 8 p.m. kick. So if you think about this, Tyler, what, <laughs> what incentive would Penn State have to say to the Big Ten, you know what, I'd like to lobby specifically to have this game at Minnesota, get their crowd all ramped up. Oh, by the way, it's going to be colder. We'll, we'll sit in a hotel all day. Yep. We want this to be a night game. Uh, of course, the home team would, right? You, you look at Ohio State. Why wouldn't they, right. a couple weeks from now, want to lobby for a later game? But why would Penn State acquiesce? And so that's what it comes down to. The Big Ten, the default from a conference perspective is no night game, 7 o'clock or later, unless both schools appeal 
and then the conference the, heals that, hears that appeal and makes a decision the only, upon it. The only thing that would benefit Penn State in that aspect would be um, uh, more of a nationwide audience being a night game. But at the end of the day, they don't need to brand themselves like that. Uh, the brand's already there, so it really doesn't make any sense for them right. to give in to the to the home team because we all know that if Penn State had that option in November to host a night game at Penn State, the the opposition's likely going to say no as well because teams <laughs> don't like going there at night. Right. You know, so it, it's it goes both ways. It does. It is. So uh, this is the Nittany Lions Sports Report here. Bob Long, Tyler Gelhaus. You may be watching us on Facebook at Bob Long. On Twitter, at Bob Long Sports. After the fact, we're live on YouTube, uh, and we put that link up there, and then we're also on SoundCloud. For those of you that choose to listen to us on your way to the office. So we talked a little bit about Minnesota. We talked a little bit about Penn State. Interesting time to take a look back and see where we are. And I mentioned one of the storylines coming into the season was that of Tommy Stevens versus Sean Clifford. Uh, Sean Clifford at this point, 8-0 in his first eight starts as a collegiate player, has been good. We've seen some improvements from a footwork perspective, a pocket presence perspective, and an accuracy perspective. Most recently, being able to throw the ball downfield with a bit more accuracy and the proper touch. I still think that we have unanswered questions about this team. And I had a discussion with this about, uh, about this with a rabid Penn State fan, and I want to get your thoughts on this. He made the comment that Penn State, well, one, he doesn't think they're going to beat Ohio State. We have a lot of time to pick that game ourselves on this show, but thinks that they have a chance to get rocked and isn't sure that they're actually that good. He thinks the defense is good, but the defense hasn't played any quote-unquote good offenses. And I'll say this, and I want to hear your thoughts on it. I understand what he's getting at to some extent. But on the contrary, who are these teams? Who are these teams yeah. that they haven't played? Right. I mean, yes. How many good all, how big, many how many really good offenses are really out there in the college, college football? Yeah, right. Not just the Big 10. Okay, Oregon has a pretty good offense. Well, that's one of the top ten teams in the country. Um, Oklahoma has a great offense. Well, they lost to Kansas State, and I'm not convinced that they're really the number 16 team right. in the country. LSU, Ohio State, Alabama. You know, and I mean, all right. those teams are pretty much top ten. And you know what? To win a national championship, you're going to have to beat two of those types of teams. So, you know, that's kind of my thought on that. Sure, maybe this isn't the Big Ten's greatest year from an offense perspective. Uh, Ohio State's probably the best offense. Wisconsin may be the second best offense, if it's not Penn State. But that's my thought. And I know there are other Penn Staters out there thinking the same way, so I wanted to address it here. Yes, I get it. The, uh, the defense hasn't had a challenge against a, a top offense in the country. But who are these teams, truly, that we're talking about? Yeah, I mean, for the most part, they looked very good against Michigan, who just dropped 45 on the pour, in the pouring rain against Notre Dame right. not too long ago. I mean, it, it's it, I, I don't know. It's it's kind of like one of those arguments like, oh, you haven't played anybody. You're hearing a lot about that with Clemson right now, but it's like they are playing, yes, the schedule's not that tough, but they're also taking care of business, whether it's pretty or not. And it, it's kind of the same thing. If they hadn't won by one point against North Carolina, we wouldn't be having the discussion. Totally that agree was an embarrassment. Totally, and they really should have lost that game. Um, but w with what you're saying is with Penn, what your friend or whoever is saying that Penn State, you know, they haven't played. That argument's going to be there for every team, I feel like, no matter what. And at the end of the day, if it doesn't matter what competition they're going up against because they've, they've gone up against competition in the past with 
that has made their defense not look great. I mean, the defense has consistently looked great all year. The offense has been getting the job done. And, I mean, that's all you can really ask for. Um, the defense, I said at the beginning of the year, is going to hold them in every game. It's going to be the offense is going to have to come through and make some big plays in these games down the stretch if they want to get to where ultimately they want to be. And I think that Sean Clifford has shown the ability to take care of the ball. He's shown the ability to to beat you with your feet when he has to. I mean, that Iowa game, he really beat them with, with his feet. Right. Um, you know, Michigan, he made some really nice throws, the right decisions for touchdowns. And Michigan State, I thought he played a really, really good game for being on the road, rainy conditions, um, sloppy field, and he he put up 28 points. I mean, so... Yeah, it's not he's not putting up forty two, but he put up twenty eight points and it was they won by three touchdowns. And their so. strength of victory is as good as anybody in college football. Right. The detractors would say they blow out the bad teams and the the solid now, the to funny, good teams the, they, they keep it and, close. And the funny thing is with the offenses, they've gotten out to really, really good starts this season. Oh yeah. Outside of the Buffalo game, um, and even really the pit game. Think about, you know, Idaho, obviously, they come out. Maryland, they come out the whole game. Um, Purdue came out firing. Um, Michigan State. M- Michigan, Michigan State, firing, firing. And then they've kind of slowed down. That is more of my concern sure. is is the consistency, uh, whether it's play calling, uh, whether the defense is making adjustments, the offense isn't. But they've come out, like, firing on offense. And, yeah. and it's at the end of the day, it's the defense has done its job. I don't know if they're getting complacent. I'd hate to think that. But they really – have shown flashes of, of a great offense. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. And your point, we talk about who have they played, right? And you mentioned that you can have that discussion against a lot of other teams as well. Well, that's a great segue. Let's go into the college football playoff rankings. Number one is Ohio State out of the Big Ten. Number two, LSU. Number three, Alabama. Number four, the Penn State Nittany Lions. And then number five, Clemson. Number six, Georgia. A lot to break down there, but my first thought is this. I'm sure you watched the show or at least saw some of the commentary surrounding it. There seemed to be a consensus on that desk that oh, Alabama would need to win the game against LSU to essentially keep themselves in it. That a loss by Alabama at home is not recoverable if they lose to LSU. I disagree so strongly with that um, I can't even truly express it, but I'll try. They talk about how Alabama hasn't played anyone and that their strength of schedule, strength of record, isn't nearly what the other teams are. And that's fair. Win or lose against LSU, especially if it's close, that strength of record and strength of schedule is going to go up. They play Auburn on the last game of the regular season. On the road. On the road. That strength of record, that strength of schedule is going to go up. And so we look at it here today, heading into the 10th week of the college football season. Okay, that's fine. Alabama doesn't have the resume that Ohio State or LSU does based upon the teams they've played. But that doesn't mean that that's going to be the case after week 13, week 14 this year, right? And so... um, that's my, that is my general takeaway from the Alabama, I'll call it nonsense, that I heard from those guys at the desk. I don't think they're out with a loss. I really don't. And to say that they are, who would go in their place? Potentially the loser of Ohio State, Penn State, I suppose. 
All Oklahoma could. Okay, sure. The winner of the Pac-12, Utah or Oregon, possibly. Yeah, I don't think any of those teams would, would jump that far, to be right. honest. Yeah. So that's that's kind of the takeaway there. I feel like day one of these rankings, we're ready to jump in with some overarching theories and takeaways. And I just think it's too early because they are only considering the schedule up till this yeah, point. Yeah, well, I it's funny you mention Alabama because I – I've gotten a sense too that if they if they lose at home against LSU that it's going to be a tough tough uh, recovery for them to get back into the picture. One because LSU would have the one game lead, but really it's a two game lead because they'd have to lose twice be- for the right. Um, you know what I mean? Um, head but to head, head to head, head right? Yep. Um, at the same time, I actually heard more about you know Clemson being upset that they were five and Penn State was four. But at the end of the day, if you're Clemson, I mean, you have the you've had the easiest schedule out of all these contenders. You have the easiest by far conference, and you have by e- easiest by far remaining schedule. So and the closest call of any of those uh, teams, right? So at the end of the day, you win out, you're going. They're not going to keep an undefeated um, previous national championship uh, winner out of the play. I mean, it's just they're going to be in if they lose. If they have a hiccup. If they have one loss, I think that they're done. And I think that's fair. And I think that is extremely fair, too. Um, I think that, you know, that's – I mean, really, if they would have lost US, UNC, I'd be, I'd, re, I'd be really interested to see where they'd fall. Yes. Um, but, you know, they, they didn't. But at the end of the day, I, I think that – yeah, I think out of all the teams, I would say right now out of the top six with Georgia already having the one loss, I would say that out of the top six – the top five are undefeated. I would say that Clemson and Alabama have the least uh, leeway um, afford to afford a loss, really. And and remind you, this is week one of the college football playoff. A lot does change. Um, however, I think that with all the teams playing each other, one playing four still and two playing three, there's going to be a lot of shuffling. Uh, from, a, from a Penn State point of view, I think that they're in a pretty good spot right now. Um, I think the fact that Ohio State is one, as much as a lot of people hate to see it, um, that that's only going to benefit Penn State as long as they take care of business the next two games before getting to Columbus to take on Ohio State. Because if they're number one still, and, and assuming Penn State would go to three uh, next week if they win and the loser of Alabama, LSU drops below them, which is a possibility, of course, it would be interesting you know, if Penn State loses a close game to Ohio State. There's probably not a worse a better loss, we'll call it, in the country than really the loser of Alabama LSU. Um, so I think it's going to be really interesting to see how this shakes up the next three weeks here. Yeah, I, I do happen to think that LSU might bump Ohio State next week if for the they top won, spot. Right, I think if that's they... definitely a possibility. I would agree with that. But so hypothetically, if Ohio, if LSU beats Alabama, okay, and Ohio State, Penn State take care of business. Does Ohio State fall to two, you're saying? And then would Penn State bump to three and Alabama down to four or five and Clemson bumps up to four? I mean, what would you see there? I think Alabama would bump down to five, yes. And Clemson would just shoot up a Clemson's up at four. And then everything else, Georgia stays put, assuming everybody just takes care of business. But really, we only really look at the top six, I feel like. Yeah, yeah, although I got to be honest with you. Pac-12? Pac-12, I... (laughs) Oregon not being ranked ahead of Georgia is interesting to me. Well, yeah. Because Oregon controls the game, outplays Auburn, leads with 11 seconds left in the football game. 
Loses to a really ne- good Auburn neutral team. Neutral site, week one. Yep. Week one, they've been very good. In the meantime, if they run through, win the North, and beat Utah in the Pac-12 championship game, are, <laughs> again, it doesn't really matter, kind of to your point about Clemson. It doesn't really matter because Georgia is either going to lose a second game or significantly improve their resume right. by winning the SEC if, championship. If, and if Georgia runs the table and wins the SEC championship over Alabama or LSU, they're going to be in. The only question is where does LSU fall at that point? Let's say it's LSU right. out of the West. Does Oregon jump LSU at that point? But now you have a common opponent. LSU beats Auburn. Oregon loses to Auburn. And so maybe that's how you let LSU in and the SEC get two teams in yeah. that theoretical situation I, I do think though with what you're saying it is it is quite a surprise that you know they're pretty much saying that Georgia is better than Oregon by one spot but Georgia's loss is a lot worse I mean yes. at home to South Carolina is a lot worse than neutral site week one against Auburn um you know I mean so it's interesting to see how they they valued that but yeah I got I, one more for you yep Baylor goes unbeaten beats Oklahoma in the regular season and then because there aren't divisions, Oklahoma's going to be the second team. Baylor plays Oklahoma again within the span of a couple weeks, within the span of a month, and they beat them again. 13-0 Baylor, two wins over Oklahoma, nada in the non-conference. Again, so much would need to happen for that to be the case. Are you leaving that team out? No, I mean, they, they would make it for sure, but I don't, I don't see it happening. They're... They're at 12 They're right 12. now. I mean, it's definitely – you can be at 12 and still make it. Penn State fans know that um, well. They got the five. Almost. Um, <laughs> but, but, yeah, I mean, how could you say no? But I don't think it's I don't think it's going to come to that. Right. Yeah, I just don't. But, um, no, I mean, you, you definitely raise a good point. And I'm looking at Utah and Oregon's future schedules. I mean, there's no reason they shouldn't meet up both 11-1 and one for the Pac-12 championship. So that's that's going to possibly open open a door there that not many people are talking about right now. It could come to fruition, um, and and it's the same. I think is the Big Twelve right now. I think at all the conferences is the odd man looking out for sure. Uh, I mean, they dropped Oklahoma at nine, and that's their. their t- and then they have um, eight no Baylor, who didn't even crack the top ten. So I think that speaks volumes a little bit about the Big Twelve right now. Let's bring it back to this matchup here as well. I know we talked about it. Uh, in the open, but this Penn State-Minnesota game has interesting storylines from a coaching perspective as well. P.J. Flack, he's got himself a new home. Well, he's had the home, but now he's building the outside structure, if you will, Uh, a seven-year extension with the Minnesota Golden Gophers. On the other side, James Franklin has had the most success that he's had as a Penn State coach, his best start. Now his job and his status as a coach is coming up His name's coming up in coaching searches around the country. We're talking about a USC position that hasn't even been vacated yet. We're talking about a Florida State job where they're paying a record buyout to Willie Taggart. And I'm asking you, Tyler, I'm asking the the folks out there watching our show, uh, what do you think? I'll offer my thoughts first. Penn State can open up the checkbook. And Barbara's shown the ability to do so. She's given James Franklin more money at the last negotiations, both for himself and to hire assistants. The facilities, top-notch. 
The job, fantastic. Um, the only question is Florida, recruiting hotbed. Southern California, recruiting hotbed. The ACC, at this moment, not as competitive. The Pac-12, at this moment, not as competitive as what he has to face on a day-in, day-out basis. So I think that's where some of the flames get fanned a bit. But um, that's the question. Uh, James Franklin's name seems to come up every single year. He responded by saying, I don't see this coaching position, my job, my status changing anytime soon. But it is something that Penn State fans were talking about. I think the bye week might have something to do about that as well. I. If it were me, and obviously I'm not James Franklin, but rebuilding Penn State um, from what it was from really when Bill O'Brien took over um, and, and what it has become now, that didn't happen overnight. It took years. Um, I don't know why he would want to go do that at another school after he got Penn. He's pretty much has Penn State at a legitimate playoff contender year in and year out. You go to a USC or Florida State, which are traditional powerhouses, but at the same time, you talk about the recruiting hotbed, not that Penn State has a very good recruiting area too with you know, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Delaware, DMV. D.C., DMV, Maryland, Virginia, which they've pretty much owned recently. Um, I just don't know why a coach would want to, unless he doesn't like the state college area or sees it as better, um, better living for his family, why he would want to leave something he's built up and you're in contention year in and year out um, to just go somewhere to start over pretty much. I think they're really obviously they're really close to breaking through to the playoff. Um, whether or not it's this year remains to be seen, but they're in a pretty good spot to do that. To me, I think that it's you know he's done a great job at Penn State and it's being recognized around the around the country. Um, that wasn't too long ago. Penn State fans wanted him out um, halftime of the Minnesota game in 2016 when they were losing. How the tables turned. Yeah, and they came back, won in overtime, and ended up winning the Big Ten championship that year. Um, you know, they were yelling fire, 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 J James Franklin at halftime. And now you have USC, Florida State, apparently would love to interview him for the coaching gig. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's a testament to what he's done here. Um, I don't, I don't know why he would go to rebuild another program after he's gotten Penn State so close to getting to that next step, that college football playoff national championship. Unless he has other aspirations, I, it just wouldn't make sense for me. I'm with you. Any other thoughts leading into this game, leading into the college football playoff initial rankings before we get to our blitz segment? Well, you know, yeah, I would like to talk about it a little bit because specifically Penn State, Minnesota. Um, because they came in, I think Penn State coming in at four is a surprise to a, a good amount of people. Um, you know, and, and you just wonder how how the team handles that type of success um you know you can't get too caught up with being number four that doesn't mean really anything right now outside of the number it's not you're not already in there's still four or five weeks left of the season um and then Minnesota on the other hand might be feeling slightly disrespected coming in at 17 um they you know they see a Baylor team at 12 that's 8-0 well look we're Minnesota we're 8-0 too um you know Baylor has a little bit some better wins. So I'm, I'm going to be interested to see how the two teams come out because both coaches are really good motivators, Franklin and Fleck, um, pretty similar coaching styles as well. So I'm interested to see um, how they, how those teams come out kind of getting opposite ends of the initial playoff ranking. Yeah. I, listen, if the culture that James Franklin preaches means anything at all to those players, and I think they are bought in, I don't see that as an issue. I, I really do not. 
the only thought is, is there a look ahead to Ohio State? But even a loss here, and again, I don't think it happens, but even a loss here would allow Penn State to then have to win out. Right. And that would be, be beating Ohio State. That would take a head-to-head tiebreaker to the last day of the season, and they would go to the Big Ten yeah. Championship. And probably at that point, because Minnesota currently has a two-game lead in the Big Ten West, that would probably lead to a rematch. Again, mm-hmm. in that theoretical situation. Yeah. I don't see it as an issue. Well, I think they come out and take care of business. Yeah. I, I don't know if it's going to be an issue or not, but you have to remember, at the end of the day, these are college kids. No matter what your coach is preaching and, and the culture in the locker room, you know, you just you can't you can't get too high um, and and think okay we're four we can kind of just you know we're, we're good we're good and you know you got to come to play every week because we've seen it already this year with Georgia South and South Carolina I mean crazy right. things happen you got to be on your game more than ever now I mean really this is this is a stretch run coming up yeah I'm with you this is the Nittany Lions Sports Report Bob Long Tyler Gellhouse here we're gonna take a quick break come back on the other side and it's time for the blitz there was a big Big change in the personnel for Penn State going into this weekend's game. Interior defensive lineman Antonio Shelton suspended for the entirety of the Penn State-Minnesota game, a Minnesota team that loves to run the football, three guys averaging about five yards or more per game. What different looks can Penn State employ, and what is Brent Pry going to do uh, in order to stymie this uh, Minnesota attack? Excuse me. But we'll be right back to talk about all that in front of the whiteboard. This is the Nittany Lions Sports Report on Bob Long Sports. Your neighborhood like Dunphy Ford. Nearly 40 years. Right here on Frankfurt Avenue. Generation after generation. Our neighbors continue to be our customers. We have access to the cars and trucks you want. With financing you need. Dunphy Ford is Northeast Philly's first choice for America's number one brand. 7700 Frankfurt Avenue in Mayfair. Online at www.dumpyford.com. Come experience the Dumpy difference. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back into the Nittany Lions Sports Report. Bob Long, Tyler Gellhouse, and now it's time to the Blitz. For the Blitz, where we go to the whiteboard and break down one concept of Penn State football. And today, it's going to be Penn State against Minnesota without Antonio Shelton. He's going to be on the sideline. Uh, he was suspended for the uh, the game for spitting on a Michigan State player. Obviously, not what Penn State wants. Certainly a time to take discipline into account. And I think overall, the right move there from Penn State. Send that message, build that culture. However, it's an 8-0 versus an 8-0 matchup here. And what we're going to look at is how is Penn State going to line up defensively, and what looks are they going to have in order to stop a really good Michigan attack, three different running backs, averaging about five yards per carry or more. So the easy answer is right here, and these initials correspond to all the different players. Itro Grossmatos, Robert Windsor, Shaka Tony. P.J. Mustafer is the natural guy to slide in. He's going to get his first collegiate start on Saturday against Minnesota. And that's the easy one. Plug and play, stuff that gap, and do not let uh, the Minnesota running backs you know, run through the guards. Antonio Shelton's been great in run defense here this year. Penn State's front four in general has been great against run defense. And I think P.J. Mustafer is going to have a great outcome in those types of situations. However, I don't believe that P.J. is going to play the amount of snaps 
of, say, Shelton and P.J. Mustafer combined for on a game-to-game basis. I don't think he's ready for a Shelton-like workload yet. So the beautiful thing about having a future first-round pick in Itro Gross Matos is that he is going to be able to slide in. He's been able to do that. Three-technique defensive tackle. There's one technique, which is going to line up right next to the center here. Three-technique, which is lining up on the guard's shoulder. And he has the ability to play both positions. So who does that open it up for? Well, Jason Awe, who in third down, pass-specific situations, came in against Michigan State, forced a fumble, had a couple great rushes. He has been fantastic. Brent Pry is going to have a challenge here, no doubt, on Saturday afternoon, morning into afternoon, as to uh, how to engineer this. But he has a lot of options. You know, we've even seen Judge Culpepper, and I, I do not see Judge Culpepper getting a whole bunch of snaps, but a, a guy getting some reps at the end of these games. You know, they've even done things where let's bring Itor Grosmatos back out here. We're going to move Robert Windsor essentially right over top of the center and a true nose guard here, Shaka Tony. And all of a sudden, Micah Parsons can provide not a fist down type of guy, but another edge rusher. And I think that's going to be interesting. You can move Itor Grossmatos this way. Parsons can become that fourth, essentially, defensive lineman. So there are a lot of ways that Brent Brent Pry can work with this. But again, we'll start with what I think is going to be the base package, which is Robert Windsor here at the one defensive tackle spot. P.J. Mustafer getting a lot more snaps here. Itor Grossmatos over here. That's your base package. Micah Parsons heads back to his weak side linebacker position. But but do not be surprised if PJ comes off and we get more 3-4 looks. A 3-4 defense isn't something that this team will do all that often, but at times it's going to be the case. And I think some passing downs. If Penn State can get an early lead and kind of carry that into the second half, I think what we're going to be seeing is more Windsor, Tony, Gross, Matos, 3-4, Luck, have the fourth linebacker in there, bring Parsons up. That might provide an opportunity for Brandon Smith to get out there and just show some different looks against a Minnesota team that, yeah, okay, they don't need to prepare for Antonio Shelton, but actually what that allows Penn State to do is be way more creative with their front seven, different looks, different situations, Yeter Grossmatos with all the flexibility in the world, and, of course, a true sophomore in P.J. Mustafer, who has more reps than a sophomore would normally have at that position, without a doubt. He's ready for this moment. I think Brent Pry has the creativity to be very successful. So there's a lot going on here, but suffice it to say, the base look is going to be P.J. Mustafer at defensive tackle getting the start. Next look, Eter Grossmatos sliding inside to three technique and either putting Jason Alway or putting Micah Parsons over that way in more of a 3-4 look. That's huge. I think Penn State has the creativity and the deployment personnel to be able to be very successful, something that, let's be honest, three years ago we would never be having this conversation, and that's a good conversation to have. That's the Blitz segment here this evening. We'll head it back to the studio. We expect our guests to come in shortly. Tony Krez of the uh, Sacred Heart St. Bernadette Saints. He'll make his picks. We'll talk a little bit more about the weekend and much more. I 
I chose CCM because I have found that this company um, on the level of scaling that we have here, the volume that we are doing, to truly have every department head and employee fully engaged in the mission of the company to make it an originator focused, uh, production first uh, company. I have not found that anywhere I've worked and I've worked at one of the largest banks in the world down to the smallest tiny community bank and correspondent lender. No one has been able to consistently deliver that message. Alright everybody, welcome back into the Nittany Lions Sports Report. Bob Long, Tyler Gellhouse, and our man of the hour, the guest picker, Tony Krez, head coach of the Sacred Heart St. Bernadette Saints youth football team. Welcome, my friend. Me, guys. We're excited to have you. And before we get into our Q&A, uh, you, you heard a little bit of the, the Blitz, and I know Tyler had some thoughts on the Blitz segment that we did before we came into this guest picker segment. Yeah, I... I I um I think with what you're saying with sliding Gross Matos down, I think is an absolute possibility. Um, specifically, I think it's interesting that you put Jason Oway out there. Why that's interesting to me is now you have two of the quickest and best pass rushing DNs in the Big Ten, and Oway and and Tony on opposite sides. Um, Minnesota has a very big offensive line, specifically their right tackle. I believe is about six eight and close to four hundred pounds. Big guy. How quick is he going to be? <laughs> that's what I'm trying to say. Is he going to be able to compete quickness-wise with those guys? I think that's something to keep an eye on on Saturday. So yep. I just wanted to point that out. Yeah. No, I appreciate that. That's a good thought. So back to Tony here. Where does he coach again? I know you like saying it. So can you say the one Sacred more? Heart St. Bernadette Saints. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about the Saints. Tell us about how you got into coaching youth football. Okay. So uh, the Saints, we're actually two parishes. We are. Sacred Heart and St. Bernadette's. So Sacred Heart is my parish in Havertown. Uh, St. Bernadette's is a parish in Drexel Hill. They actually merged about five years ago due to not having enough kids to field their own teams anymore. Uh, one Sunday, last uh, two summers ago, I in the church bulletin, it just said we need a coach for third and fourth grade uh, flag football. I emailed the contact, just wanted to know kind of like what the uh, time commitment was. Sure. And he told me it's two hours a week and then a two-hour game on Saturdays. Hmm. And basically he said, if we don't have a coach by Friday, uh, there's no season for the kids. So I was like, oh, well, then I'll definitely do it. Guilt trip right there. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, some Catholic guilt. So uh, I I was like, I'll do it. I just need a few parents to help me out. So it's I'm the head coach, but I have about four or five dads that help out as well. So it makes it a lot easier. That's great. Yeah. Well, and from many humble beginnings like that, we've seen successful coaching careers blossom all over the place. Don't, don't. Come on. Uh, I think I'm, I'm happy where I'm at. <laughs> I, I have a very flexible schedule. That like James me. Franklin, not taking the Florida State job. He's yeah. happy where he's at. He's getting the communion money, I'm sure. Uh, the, the job right now allows me to go to Penn State for a few weekends. There you go. Okay. It's very flexible with schedules. Oh, yeah. So the coaches all get together at the beginning of the year at a uh, bar and make the schedule up there. So I usually plan ahead and our bye week the last two years has coincided with like the whiteout or something like that. Nice. So Perfect. Oh, amazing how favorite. that happens. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> yeah. Schedule maker somehow yeah. it gets it to, to be that way. How is the team doing this year? 
Uh, technically, we don't keep score, uh, but we have two losses. We're about, I think we're four and two, maybe okay. five and two. Cool. Okay. So we've got three more games left. Big Thanksgiving Day game against uh, the big rival uh, St. Dots in Drexel Hill. Oh, that's St. Dots. So oh, yeah. I'm a, uh, I'm not a local, but I've been told by everyone that it's a very big deal, even for flag. So oh, my God. it's a. Uh, how, how old are these kids again? I coached third and fourth grade, eight and nice. nine years old. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Their dads played that game when they were eight and nine years old. And their grandparents probably played eight and nine years old. So I get told a lot we got to win that game. Is uh, It's not 11 on 11, is it? It is 11 on is 11. Is it? Okay. It's actually exactly like uh, regular football. We try and get them to, when they do make it to fifth grade JV, that they can jump right in. And except for tackling, it's pretty much the same thing. Hmm. Yeah. I didn't realize when I signed up it was going to be 11 on 11, but it was. It actually makes it easier because you can kind of, I don't know, many 7 on 7 I mean, plays. can the linemen block <laughs> still? Yeah, like it... They struggle. There's there's rules in place um, mm-hmm. for the technically the defensive line is supposed to line up head-to-head with a lineman so the kids don't get confused. They're supposed cool. to engage. They're not supposed to shoot any gaps. It's more instructional mm-hmm. so that we can get the kids in, get them excited to play, but – so that in fifth grade, they're, they, it's yeah. not like day one. Right. It's more about I, teaching them structure. I actually think it's a great way for people to get in, for kids to get into yeah. football. Um, yeah. I don't think that you should be hitting at that age. Um, and, and I think that's why flag football is a great introductory to when you can get to that stage, whether it's you know middle school or high school because of injuries and not being coached properly. Um, I think that, that you, know, you can still learn a lot about football by playing flag football, and I think that's that's a real benefit um, for really everybody involved. I actually have oh sorry, to interrupt. No. I actually have a, a dad came up to me this year and said his son was borderline not going to play tackle next year. Mm-hmm. Had a really fun game, first game of the year at linebacker. He made like three tackles, three flag pulls, whatever you call right. it. And he's hundred percent locked in. He's going to play tackle next year. So someone that probably wouldn't have given tackle the time of day last year now yeah. he's probably gonna play it builds confidence yeah. and all that so that's great it's neat well and, and this might be a dumb question but it's kind of where i want to go with this to some extent and that's the teaching of the principles of the game to those that will continue with the game the game's kind of in a tough spot here yes um, that's uh that the meeting that i talked about where we make the schedule the commissioner says numbers are down everywhere not just cyo but football in general it's down mm-hmm. and you know it's no surprise i mean it's in the news all the time, concussions, CT, all that stuff. So, where do you it, fall on all that? I'm. I don't know. I'm not a, a scientist. I, <laughs> you know, I. I think the equipment that football players have it's meant for protection, and I think a lot of people use it as weapons. Mm-hmm. You know, the the just going all out at somebody with your shoulder right into their head. I mean, who would think they're that's safe? But. You yeah, know, they're improving helmets from what I understand, but maybe that and that's not what I, I did not actually mean to put oh, you on sorry. the spot with some <laughs> large philosophical question. It is somewhat of a philosophical question, but I mean, um, how do you where do you stand on, um, you know, putting together programs, coaching kids? How do you feel that, you know, kids being taught a certain way when they're young is going to affect how they play later and, and really the game of football overall over the next 10 to 15 years. So it's still philosophical, but not where do you stand on, on uh, concussions? Yeah, <laughs> it, no, it's, I mean, what they learn now, 
you know, I don't think anyone in the pros is like, here, guys, this is how you properly tackle. Mm. It's, it's done now. Right. Even in high school, you're probably not, you know, they're probably not taking too much time to teach how to tackle. That should have been done years, you know, fifth and sixth grade, stuff like that. So I think the pre-high school, even a little bit of high school, that's the foundation of it. You got to got to get it right there. Uh, you know, teach them, teach them the proper techniques. Yeah. So I just want to jump in on the numbers being down. It is an interesting thing. I, um, I'm PIW certified for football refereeing. Um, and I do, I do the chains a good amount on Friday night for chain crews. And one thing I've noticed is numbers are down. Um, a lot of teams aren't doing ninth grade teams anymore. Um, a lot of teams actually are having trouble fielding a junior varsity team. So now you're seeing, you know, and now they're dressing, Nine through 12th grade on the sidelines and it's really not it's you know less than 50 guys in many circumstances um some of the smaller schools valley forge military um i'm trying to think who else like devon is it devon prep um some some of the smaller schools are actually do i, I don't know if it's eight man or seven on seven it's either eight on eight or seven on seven because their numbers are down but they still want to play football and it's just it's just a different style game, and there's there's less guys on, on the field, yeah. really. So, I mean, something to keep an eye on, too, for yeah. down the road. Well, I think it's awesome, Tony, what you're doing. Thank um, you. I've always known you as a football savant and a guy who loves Thanks. the game. So it's a really cool way to give back. And uh, I would ask you, through one-plus years, almost two years now, right, what your biggest takeaway from all this has been. Uh the last two years, I've, I have the expectations were, you know, the, I think the the kids would, kids would love it. They'd learn. Um, I'm learning a lot too. It's even at this level, you have to adapt. That's what I think I'm learning is adapting. Uh, I came in last year. You know, we basically I formation will will do a power offense <laughs> and. It's flag though, so you know any kid can just get a hand on a flag and right. it's over. You opened it up to the spread this year, so we are now we're in a shotgun, uh, two backs, nice, two tight ends. Oh we, we man, do, twenty-two personnel yeah, from we, Tony. Here. We do some motion, uh, and the motion does nothing, but the kids, you know, you he's tell, moving. You, you tell them you're in motion, they think it's cool. Yeah, so <laughs> you're moving. You just keep the. It's it's not so much about. What's uh, going to make sense? It's you know, just have have fun. Have you implemented the Philly special? Uh, so last year we had the Philly special ready to go for Thanksgiving, Ooh. and we thought we were getting the ball back one more time, and Varsity had to come on for their game. <laughs> so we early. so we didn't get a chance to. Oh, man. So uh, it's my my biggest regret as a coach. <laughs> oh, last well, two years. you saving it for this year. Oh man, Saint Dots watches yeah. this. Yeah, Tyler, I know. It's good. Come on. You never know. I know. Uh, we might try something different this year. Okay, cool. okay, yeah. there you go. Maybe a direct snap type of thing. There like you go. So, uh, we got three weeks for that. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. That's I'm sure the preparation has already started for that one. Yes, we actually <laughs> already played them once, so we're uh, we cool. didn't show them everything we had. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Spoken like a true coach. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's great. Well, it's a great story, Tony. I love Thank the story, um, and we wanted to get a sense for where grassroots football was at because we do obviously all college here but we talk a lot about high school we broadcast high school stuff here on bob long sports so well, if you want to come to a game we got one saturday 8 a.m wow it's going to be 25 degrees Ooh. already checked so feel free sleeping. 
Feel free to stop by if wow. you guys want in Havertown. Who's hey. uh, who's paid for the broadcast? That's what I was going to say. Hey, he does, he does, he's got LaSalle prep at night, but he's available yeah. in the morning if you want to hire him. Well, we, we were. <laughs> the uh, the Thanksgiving Day game, the varsity game, was up for uh, the WIP Turkey Bowl. So they, really? they came in fourth. That's what the Penridge Quaker Town. I heard. Yes, they yeah. won, but we were. And what does that fourth. mean? They do a radio broadcast of it? Uh, Joe DeCamera and John Ritchie yeah. actually go call it. I think Howard Eskin's yeah, on Howard's the on the sideline. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So it's like the third year they're doing it. So we came in fourth this year in the voting. So we were, we were close. Nice. And we were the only grade school team. We'll have to vote next year. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah, we yeah, had yeah. you on a few weeks too I know, late. I know. Yeah. It just ended next last year, week. Next year, we'll, we'll put them up a little bit. That's so right. So we'll get yeah. the votes out, you know, and we'll, we'll start publicizing Absolutely. Them in yeah. October. Get those St. Dots people watching <laughs> the show as well, as well as Sacred Heart and uh, St. Barney's. St. Barney's. Yeah. Yep. And St. Andrew's, technically, but they, okay. didn't get, they didn't get naming rights for some reason. Brilliant golf course. Yeah. Yes. All right, time for the pick'em segment here, Tony. We All have right. two six and zero competitors, and so we already know that we're having a playoff on the week of Thanksgiving, that Tuesday evening. The question is, will you join them? I wish you the best. Thank you. All right, Tony. So what we have, we have four, five head-to-head games. Pick okay. the winner, and then we'll go. Number six will be uh, Penn State, um, and and the line for that game, uh, the spread, I should say. All right, so we're going to start off with arguably, you know what, we'll go opposite because I'll save the best for last. So let's go. Appalachian State at South Carolina. Okay, so I'm going first here. You're going, the guest goes first. All right. Uh, I'm going to go with South Carolina. South Carolina's home, I believe. They are. I'm going to go with the home team on that one. Yeah, I like South Carolina here as well. I just think they're a better football team than App State. They've had a great year. Don't get me wrong. But if App State somehow wins this game... What does that do to the number six Georgia Bulldogs who are in the college football playoff ranking right now? Obviously, lost, yeah. all of that is, yeah, because they lost to yeah. South Carolina. Obviously, everything's ahead of them still for Georgia. They would have to beat a lot of good teams in order to get to the college football playoff, but that's my question. But I am taking South Carolina. I'm going to go Gamecocks as well. I just think, you know, playing in the SEC, they're playing tougher competition throughout the year. I think it benefits. They need South Carolina really needs this win too, um, for um, bowl perspective, and they because they have some tough games coming up still. Um, they still have to play Clemson. Uh, they still have some pretty tough games and become bowl eligible. They're really going to need this one. Um, so I'm going to take South Carolina as well. Home team night game. Um, I will take the Gamecocks on top. They're, they're four and five, um, and they still have to go to A and M and Clemson. So. Got to really win this game if they want to make the postseason this year, and I think uh, desperation will come through for them yep. this week. And we, as Penn State fans, know though uh, App State. <laughs> well, yeah, it can get scary. It, it, Michigan even knows that more. Yeah. So <laughs> um, <laughs> next, we're we're gonna go um, Wake Forest. I believe they came in at 19 in the College Football Playoff. Um, the second best team in the ACC travels to what Blacksburg to take on the Hokies of Virginia Tech. I'm going to go with the upset here. I'm going to go with Virginia Tech. That all? That's all. That's I, it. You know, I, like, like no I said, guess. I left my notes at, at work today, but I had an explanation. <laughs> that ain't I no do remember guess. thinking Virginia Tech. That's, That's what's going to be. be. I like Wake, but I feel like I'm walking on a landmine here. Um, I, just, mm, I just don't think it's Wake's a tough one. very good. And Virginia Tech played Notre Dame well, but now I have questions about that team. Um, I, I I don't know. And it's tough going into Lane Stadium. 
Give me Wake Forest uh, against my better judgment. I'm going to go Hokies here. Yeah. Uh, I think you know. Yeah, I think they played. The they they really, <laughs> for all intents and purposes, should have beat um, Notre Dame last week. Um, now that could that could go one of two ways. It could you know be heartbreak. You know, oh, and now we got to come back. But I think it's a good opportunity for them to get a ranked win. Um, and then I think it's also going to put even more of a damper on the ACC as it stands as a whole. That would be the only other ranked team outside of Clemson, and then they would probably no longer be ranked Wake Forest. So another interesting storyline to pay attention to. I, too, have the Hokies um, taking care of business at home this week. Uh, let's move to the Big Ten, where we have a battle out west um, between Iowa and Wisconsin. Game is at Wisconsin. I'm going Wisconsin big here. Big? I believe Wisconsin's lost two in a row. I think they're a very good football team that just played a even better football team in Ohio State, and I think they just run it down Iowa's throat. Yeah, Iowa's a pretty good defensive line, as Penn State saw, but I do think that Wisconsin finds a way to win this football game. Iowa's good, not great. Uh, playing this one in Madison is a factor for me. Wisconsin keeps themselves in the Big Ten West race by winning this game. I don't see any way that Wisconsin could lose three games in a row. Um, that is why I'm going um, Wisconsin. I just I don't see teams. I think are pretty even. With that being said, I think they are a tad better. They are home. They're not. I, I can't see them losing three games in a row. I mean, at one point they were top six in the country, top eight, whatever it was. Four shutouts. Yeah, there's no way they can lose three games in a row. I just don't see it, especially they come they come back home now. Um, they haven't been home in a while. They were on the road twice, lost, had a bye in there too. Uh, I like the Badgers as well. Um, now we're gonna go to the big we're gonna go to the Big Twelve. Um, Kansas State catching fire as of late. Um, they take on their ranked and they take on unranked, who was previously ranked very high at the beginning of the season. My playoff pick shows how much Ooh. I know. They travel to Austin to take on the Longhorns, horned down lately. <laughs> um, so, yeah, K-State at Texas. Yes, I noticed that they were hot right now. They had a big win, I believe, two weeks ago against Oklahoma. Who They were one of my big playoff picks. I thought uh, I was riding the uh, Jalen Hurts wagon for a while. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to say Kansas State wins. Texas is just one of those teams that's always ranked very high, and, man, do they always let you down. They always seem to – finish four or five losses every year last couple of years but i'm gonna go kansas state uh i've lost my shirt twice with relation to baylor um <laughs> i very well may lose my shirt here with relation to kansas state but i do not see this as a great football team uh i think texas is going to win the game playing at home and kansas state falls back to earth in a huge way yeah I i'm going um texas too here uh i just I don't know why. I, I, I really don't. I, I just think home game, um, tech, I think Kansas State's due for a loss because I think that they've been playing better than they really are. Um, so I'm, I'm going to go Texas. Desperation kicks in a little bit here as well. Um, and now and now finally, um, we'll get to the biggest game, unless you're a Penn State fan, of the weekend. New college football playoff rankings are out. Number two, LSU travels to Tuscaloosa take on number three, Alabama. 3.30 CBS. I really want to pick LSU. I like they finally have a quarterback, it seems like, for the first time. Their offense has been pretty impressive, but I 
cannot go against uh, Nick Saban, Alabama at home. I'm going to go with Alabama in a close one, but Alabama. Sweet home, Alabama. I think Alabama wins the football game as well at home. They're disrespected right now. People think LSU's a better football team. Are they? I suppose we'll find out. Tua, clearly a big factor here that we don't really know yet. If he's at full strength, I think they win. If he's not, well, then I maybe made the wrong pick. But (laughs) listen, I I think that Alabama um, was disrespected this week at times by people talking about them as a, hey, if they lose this game, they're out of the playoff. Uh, Poor Alabama. <laughs> hey, listen, I'm, uh, I don't care. I just think <laughs> that they were disrespected slightly. Uh, they are still, in my mind, the best program in college football, and I think they win this football game against LSU, a team that has a tremendous offense, yes, kind of sputtered through a pretty good Auburn team, but did nonetheless. I like Alabama to win this game, in the game of the year, we'll call it, until two weekends from now. Hopefully, yeah. Um, I'm going to be the outlier here. I'm going to go Tigers. Um, I I think uh, Tua coming off of injury, I mean, I expect him to be good, um, as always. Uh, How good, I don't know, coming off of injury. I know what he's capable of doing. Uh, Burrow at LSU has been consistent. They finally have a quarterback, like like Tony said. Um, They also have phenomenal receivers, phenomenal play caller in Joe Brady. I, they lost a couple guys on defense. Divinity, uh, one of their top defensive backs, uh, left the team for personal reasons. Um, but I, I think that I think LSU's due for a win like this. It's it's been a long time coming for them. Um, they're they're the talk of college football right now. A lot of people thought you know they should be one. Um, Ohio State should be two. Whatever. But I think Coach O. I think that um, Joe Burrow and I think that the LSU offense. Puts it on Alabama enough to win the game. I think it's high scoring. I yeah. think I think yeah. we're used to seeing we they had like what was it was it nine, nine six, six? Uh, game oh, of the year yeah. game of the century. Yeah, I mean they've had some really low scoring defensive Three missed battles. Field goals for Alabama in that yeah, game. Yeah, I think that this is I think this is a little bit more of a shootout. I think it gets to the thirties, and I think it's a very entertaining game. And I think I think LSU pulls it out um, pulls it out late despite Alabama feeling disrespected. I. I think LSU's, LSU's due for a win like this. Very quick anecdote about this. You may remember this. 2011, we were doing our show up at Penn State as a junior, I want to say I was. And I argued so strongly that Alabama was the best team in the country leading into that game. And by for all intents and purposes, they outplayed LSU. Special teams didn't come up big. I get it. They lost the game. They deserved to lose the game. Next week, I did my college football top 25 ranking. Who was number one? Alabama, again. Took flack for it for the next month, month and a half, two months. And then Alabama delivered one of the biggest butt whoopings in the history of the BCS National Championship on LSU. Is that and when so LSU that, didn't pass a 50-yard line the whole game? It. Jordan Jefferson was wow. the quarterback. They, they didn't It was like passed. the last fourth. It what was, was the, the fourth score quarter. of the game? It was 21-nothing. Exactly the way you'd expect them to get there. It was like Turn. three field goals of... Uh, touchdown and a missed extra point. There was uh-huh. a safety in there. Somehow they got to – there was like 15 nothing, and they with a safety in there, and they scored a touchdown and then missed the extra point, and it was 21 nothing. And I remember that LSU did not get past midfield. Yeah. Like it was, Until it was, the fourth quarter. It was bizarre. Yeah, it was so, something crazy like that. One more anecdote, a second one here. One of the greatest troll jobs I've ever seen. 
LSU basketball plays yeah. at Alabama early in the SEC oh. schedule that year, and LSU walks the ball across midcourt, and the arena gives them a standing ovation. <laughs> One of that the was best good. troll jobs That was I've good, it's, and it's available on YouTube. Yes. It is recommended. I've seen that before. It's very good. Um, anyway, we're going to get on to the second biggest game of the weekend, yeah. if you will. We're going to go Penn State. Six and a half point favorites right now. Seven in some places. We're going to call it six and a half um, at Minnesota. Twelve o'clock Eastern start. 11, 11 a.m. Central time. Mm-hmm. Give us, you know, if Penn State covers, if they don't, and also give us a prediction and, and a key to victory, if you would. Or oh, geez. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm going to say Penn State wins. I'm going to say they don't cover. Hmm. Okay. Uh, I think both teams eight and zero. I think. They're, I don't think Penn State is as good as they are ranked right now. I think four is pretty generous. Uh, Minnesota hasn't really played anybody. If you look at their schedule, uh, their three toughest games are in the next four weeks. They still have to play Iowa and Wisconsin. Um, start of their season, they barely were winning these games. Their offense kind of found a groove, it seems like, these last few weeks. Uh, they got a very good coach. Uh, I think they're good. I don't think they're – I think we're better. I'm going to say we're better. Um, It could come down to coaching, which I wouldn't give us the edge with. Um, I just think right now uh, – Minnesota's on the rise. They're just at the beginning of the rise, and I'd say, you know, that was us maybe three years ago. We were on the rise. We were established. I think we had the better players. So I I think we win, um, but I'm going to say we we don't win by, by much. Gotcha. What do you think? What do you think the score is going to be? Oh, geez. Um, Obviously, l- winning less than se- six points. I guess. Yeah. You know? Well, it depends on uh, which Penn State shows up. It's the first half scoring Penn State or the second half scoring Penn State. Uh, I'll say something like, "Let's go twenty-eight, twenty-four." Okay, okay. Cool. that's good. I like Penn State to cover, win and cover. Uh, I think they win uh, by about 14 points. Let's call mm-hmm. it two touchdowns. That that second touchdown may come late in the game, but I do think that they have done a nice job getting started early. And you know, teams have started to come back, yes, but I think they get out early, and that's going to help them. You can kind of pin Jason Always ears back. Yusir Gross Matos is going to have a huge role in this game. I can't really see it going any other way, given some of the losses including Antonio Shelton on that front seven but I think they do really well I think they win this game build the momentum going forward Uh, Minnesota they've had an unbelievable last four games from a differential perspective the first four games of the season were quite frankly embarrassing with their margin of victories over not very good football teams from non-power five leagues however uh, yes, they've played well in the last four games. I think Penn State's a better football team and wins, we'll say, 14 points. So 31-17, we'll call it. Yeah, Bob's had a great read on the season so far. Um, I mean, we, we both have had, we've both been really close, but you've been like dead on with Penn State this year. So if you're out there betting, listen, <laughs> listen to Bob. Uh, but yeah, don't, eight, but, eight but don't, don't come exactly. Don't come asking for his money though when you lose. <laughs> uh, but uh, I, I do think as well as Bob that they're going to cover. I actually think they're going to cover for Tony's reasons. Though, even though he doesn't think they're going to cover, I think you know Minnesota's on the rise and Penn State's been there. Um, Penn State has better talent across the board. They're deeper, more depth. Um, Wisconsin does have guys at receiver though that would would definitely Many. 
Yeah, I mean, they'd be playing for Penn State without a doubt. I mean, they have good receivers. They have good running backs. Um, a couple good, really good guys on defense. Uh, but I think Penn State has too much talent and too many spaces, too many places, um, too many weapons as well. Um, I just think that, you know, this team's on a mission right now. Uh, I don't know how it's going to end. Uh, I don't, I'm don't. i not saying it's going to end with a national championship, Big Ten championship, but I do think they cover. I think it's in the ballpark of 10 to 13. I will go 10 for now, which is cover. I'm going to say 27-17 Penn State. Um, I, I just really like their chances in this one. Um, again, I talked about it earlier, their battle tested Minnesota, not so much. Um, but it, it's going to be interesting by all counts. Minnesota's biggest game in years. Um, you know, and, and it's a huge game for Penn State, too. It's the highest they've been ranked in the college football playoff ever. So should be a good one. All right, lock it down, Tony. You are in the system, All my right. friend. Cool. Good luck this weekend. Thanksgiving, I guess, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, about That's that. That's right. Make <laughs> cool. it happen. All right, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. Thanks for giving us a look into uh, the world of youth football, and where we are right now. Don't forget 8 o'clock Saturday. 8 o'clock yeah, Saturday Bob, morning. Bob will be there with the camera. Bring a coat, yeah. <laughs> Great. All right, Tyler, anything more? Uh, other than when we come back next week, it's going to be interesting to see where the, what the rankings are because there's going to be some shakeups, obviously, with LSU and Alabama playing. So uh, looking forward to that and looking forward to see if there's any upsets and other major shakeups up there. Yeah, I say this every week, but this week as much as ever. Enjoy the football, folks. It will be a good one. 12 o'clock noon, Penn State against Minnesota. However, not big noon, as it were. <laughs> that is relegated to Fox. Did I say relegated? Reserved for Fox. And, uh, and then at 3.30 on CBS, LSU-Alabama, Game of the Year, until two weeks from now. Tony Krez, our guest. Thanks again to him for being with us. Tyler Galhouse, my co-host as always. And I'm Bob Long saying so long. This is the Nittany Lions Sports Report here on Bob Long Sports. Enjoy your evening, everybody. And until next week, see everybody later.